All right, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 this morning. We'll get back into our series this morning through the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, we're going to be looking about the subject of money today. It's my favorite subject to preach on. And for most people that come to church, it's their favorite subject to be preached to on. So we're just going to have a great time this morning, all right? So we'll look at these thoughts. Uh, they're in God's Word for a reason, and God's Word says so much about money. It's been said, it, you know, He speaks more about that than perhaps any other subject, and I think that's true based on my study of the Word of God. And so we'll just keep coming at it until um, we're home with Him and keep our hearts by God's grace in the place where they need to be. All right, so verse 10. Solomon writing says, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. He said, this is also vanity. When goods increased, they are increased that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. There is a sore travail which I have seen under the sun, namely riches kept for the owners thereof, to their hurt. But those riches perish by evil travail, and he begetteth the son, and there's nothing in his hand. One get the sense from the way that Solomon's writing that he's speaking about someone who he's specifically observing here. Verse 15, and as he came forth of his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came, and he shall take nothing of his labor which he may carry away in his hand. Let's pray this morning. Lord, thank you for a good day today. Lord, thank You for Your grace, as we sang about a moment ago. Lord, thank You for uh, the stillness of our souls before You and how You speak to us and minister to our hearts. Thank You that You are our Heavenly Father today. Um, Lord, I, I ask that You'd speak to us as we assemble. I pray that You'd help us to make application of our hearts. Lord, this is a perspective shift and one in our hearts that needs constant realignment and tweaking and getting back to center. And so I pray, Lord, that you'd help us just to do that in our attitudes, in our minds, um, as we, as we re-engage your word, re-engage the subject of money for a few minutes together. Lord, recalibrate us and help us to have the right perspective and right view, because it gets out of whack, Lord. And so I pray that you'd help us today with these ideas and thoughts. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Question, the sermon title this morning, the question I want to seek to answer is the question, is more better? And it's a good question. Is more better? And and, and, the, and the answer to the question, of course, is, well, it depends. I mean, you've got to contextualize a question like that. So it, it just depends. The, the Mayo Clinic is a hospital system many of you would be familiar with. It's uh, regularly ranked among the best hospitals, not just in America, but in the world. And many people who have been diagnosed for a disease or, or a condition will, um, if you will, make an appeal or get a second opinion there because it's such a, such a good place to go and some of the best minds in the world work there. There's a disorder that some people have brought to the Mayo Clinic and they've come there because they've received some type of diagnosis and they come in and, and they diagnose them with this diagnosis. And this is official, go to their website, you can look it up yourself. It's called the hoarding disorder. The hoarding disorder. And according to their website, the hoarding disorder is an ongoing difficulty throwing away or parting with possessions because you believe you need to save them. And they go on to say this, and I want you to pay careful attention to some of the wording here because it, it translates to where we're going in just a minute. So hang with me. You may experience distress 
at the thought of getting rid of the items, you gradually keep or gather a huge number of items regardless of their actual value. People with hoarding disorder may not see it as a problem, so getting them to partake in treatment is challenging. But intensive treatment can help that individual understand how beliefs and behaviors, they can, not necessarily will be, but they can be changed, so that they can live, and here's the, here's the result they're looking for, a more enjoyable life. Symptoms of hoarding disorder may include, and I'm, I'm just going to read through a few of these. There's a long list, and I don't want to take too much time to press this point this morning, but we're going somewhere. Okay. Symptoms of... That was an, that was an inappropriate amen, Jerry Palmer. Um, Keith, can you have the ushers just keep an eye down here, please? That'd be a help. All right. All right, all right. Symptoms of the hoarding disorder may include getting and keeping too many items, an ongoing difficulty parting with your things, a feeling a need to save these items, and being upset by the thought of getting rid of them, trying to be perfect in avoiding or delaying decisions, problems with planning and organizing. When hoarding, with a hoarding disorder, items are saved, and there's a, there are many reasons, but some of them include that you believe you'll need them at some point in the future. You get an emotional attachment to them. You feel safe and comforted when surrounded by them. Okay, the list goes on of reasons, but then here's, where, here's what their recommendation is. When to see a doctor. If you or a loved one has symptoms of hoarding disorder, they said talk with a healthcare provider or a mental health provider with expertise in diagnosing and treatment, ho treating hoarding disorder as soon as possible. And some people would scoff at that and they laugh at it. Okay, here's the question. Is more better? And it's not better if it makes you a hoarder. Because hoarders live lives of stress. Emotional distress, mental distress. They go on to say it harms you psychologically. Hoarding harms you emotionally. It actually harms you physically. And it causes harm to relationships. All the things you're trying to avoid are all the things you invite into your life. And here is Solomon. And he is assessing the life of a man. We don't know if he was a hoarder of stuff or not. We don't know what his garage looked like or what his living room or bedroom or bathroom looked like. But we do know this. He was a hoarder. He was just a hoarder of money. And many of the same symptoms are diagnosed. We hold on to things. We can't let go of them. There's an emotional attachment there. It brings us comfort. It brings us sa uh, perceived safety. This man, whoever Solomon was observing and whatever life he was thinking about, had a really hard time letting go of his riches. Having stuff isn't a problem. It's not evil. It's not wrong. But getting to a point in your life where you can't let go of it, well, that is a problem. Having money and having riches, it's not a problem. It's not evil. It's not wrong. But getting to a place in your life where you can't let go of it, well, now that's a problem. Here's verse 13, and I, and I want you to look there with me. There is a sore travail, he says, which I have seen under the sun, namely riches kept for the owners thereof. And then he says this, riches kept by the owner. And then he says this, to their hurt. Having more isn't evil or wrong. It just creates all sorts of problems in our lives. So I want to, I want to, take, a, I want to take a couple minutes here 
And the verses that we read, I want to break them down, give a little commentary, just so you know where we're going. I'm going to give some commentary here. We're going to study the Bible for a minute, and then we're going to go into some application and a few points that we have this morning. And I want to answer this question, what problems do we encounter when we have more? What problems do we encounter when it's just too much, when we won't let go of it? Well, the text gives us an idea of some of them. Okay, so verse 10, part A, and I want you to follow along in your Bible as we read these together. He says, he that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. Love, it's the idea of a deep affection for, satisfied. It's the idea of satiated, a gratified, content. If you love money, you are never going to have enough money. Like, you, you can't scratch that itch. The more money you get, and the more money you have, the more money you'll want, and the more money you're going to need. So my kids um, are very creative at playing games, and sometimes they'll, they love to play games, and sometimes they love to make up their own games. And, and my boys do this with me all the time. So they'll say, Dad, Dad, can, we, can you come outside and play baseball with us? And so it is really hard to play one-on-two baseball but we make up rules and so that we can, we can manage this. And part of that involves throwing the ball at the person to get them out. And so this is a, I'm not, a, I'm not saying you should do that. They make the rules up. I'm just engaging in the rules. All right. If I start to win, they change the rules and it's not fair. They will literally move the bases so that I can't beat them. That's what money does to us. You, you can't get satisfied with it. And the more you try to get satisfied with it, the more you think, well, if I just had that or enough, what does money do? It moves the bases on you. If I had that, if I hit this number, if I achieve this objective, if I get this purchase, then I'll be content and satisfied. Happy. We think that, we don't articulate that, but we feel that way. And what does money do? Well, it moves the bases on us. You can't ever win. You can't ever have enough. You won't ever find satisfaction. And he's, and he's what he's saying. He that loves silver, you'll never be satisfied with it. The second part of verse 10. Nor he that loveth abundance with increase. The more you have, the less it satisfies you. Your income will never make you happy. So you go to work and you work hard and your boss notices it and you get a pay raise or you own your own company and you've, you've strategized and you've, you've involved some new um, business opportunity and your money goes up and all of a sudden it's like, that's great. And you're really happy. For how long? A few months, maybe a few months. A few weeks, maybe a few weeks. Because what happens? Well, your expectations change and you want more money. Verse 11, when goods increase, they are increased to eat them. Your paycheck goes up and guess what else goes up? Your taxes go up. <laughs> That's exactly right. Your expenses go up. Your standard of living and what it takes to make you happy and the people in your home that you're helping, they all go up. Everything goes up. The stress for enough, it never stops. Second part of verse 11. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saving thee, beholding of them with their eyes? He's just asking this question. You know, philosophically, when you stand back and you really look at money, what good are riches really? Because the more you get, the more you realize it doesn't really do any eternal good. It's like watching sand slip through your fingers. It's like going to the seashore and trying to take some sand and, and you're just, just watching it run through your hands. 
And, and that's how money is. Verse 12, the sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. More money often means more worry. The more you get, the more it keeps you up at night. The more it occupies your mind in quiet moments, maybe even this one. Verse 13, there is a sore travail which I've seen under the sun, namely riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. The more you have, the more you hurt yourself by holding on to it. Because the more you have, the more you feel like you need to retain it. And the more you hold, the more you suffer, the more it causes damage to you. Verse 14, but those riches perish by evil travail. The more you have, the more you have to lose. He says evil travail, it just means that there's nowhere safe to put your money, not really, where it can't be quickly taken away like that. Stocks fall, economy collapses, inflation hits, the dollar loses its value, disaster strikes. In Jesus' day, he said, moth and rust doth corrupt. And he said, thieves break through and steal. You get the idea. There's really nowhere safe. You can't even bury it and it'd be safe there. Verse 15, as he came forth out of his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came and shall take nothing of his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. Everything you have, you leave. You leave behind your electronics and all those social media accounts you have on it. You leave behind your hobbies and your collections. You leave behind your online bank accounts and your retirement plan. You leave behind your home and the furniture that you've purchased. You even leave behind your clothes. He says you came out naked and you go back the same way. You're just a little bigger. And that's it. So what do you take with you? What goes with you? Who you've become. Who you have become as a person. You won't take the money you made with you, but you will take the life you made. You'll take your decisions, you'll take your choices, you take your spirit, you take your attitude, your heart, the investment in people in the kingdom of God. That all goes with you. We spend so much of our lives making a living. We invest our time, our effort, our worry, fear, stress, anxiety over what? Over how much money we are making? Over how much money we have? We will move across the globe if necessary to make more money. We will switch careers. We'll leave churches. We'll go into hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt for education. We will endure stress. We will tolerate anxiety. We will give the best years of our life and we will give more than that. We will give so much effort for what? To make more money. Okay. Let me just pause and say this. That's not evil or wrong. There is a balanced approach to bring to this equation. The, uh, the author here makes an assumption we would work hard. Solomon had no tolerance for lazy people. He had no tolerance for those who wasted time. We live in a culture where there are an abundance of time wasters clamoring for our attention at all times. 48 times in the book he used the words work, works, labor, labored, laboring. This was a big deal to him. He was a hardworking man himself. 
He had no tolerance for laziness. He saw it as a crime. He saw it as a sin. All through the book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, we get this notion from him. In our passage this morning, in verse 12 and 19, he says the sleep of a laboring man is sweet. He says in verse 19, we have a commandment to rejoice in, in our labor. Thought for next week. This passage encourages hard work. But hard work for what? Hard work and then what? And for some, the answer is, I'm going to work hard, I'm going to put in my best effort, and then I'm going to stress, I'm going to reach down deep, and I'm going to work more. Why? So I can get more. Why? Well, ultimately, you're just going to stress more. And if you don't have what you think you need or what you really want, you settle into this anxious state of mind and heart, and that's what he's attacking this morning. He's not saying riches are evil. He's not saying having stuff is bad. He is saying the way you view it, the condition of your heart and mind, the attitude you bring to it, it matters. And it's a big deal. And that's what he's getting at here. Verse 18, he says, behold, and I, I want you to look there with me. And we're, we're going to break this down a little bit. He says, behold, that which I have seen. He said, I've observed this, I'm watching this, I see this in other people's lives, I've seen it in my own. Here he is, an old anxious man himself who was wealthy, and he says, it is good and comely for one to eat and drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life, which God hath given him for, his, for it is his portion. There is a significant difference between making a living and making a life. They are not the same thing. And they do not hold the same weight. You will leave your living behind. You are taking your life with you. And that's what he's articulating. How do we make a good living? Well, in America, it's not too hard compared to historically the world and even the context of the world today. Just jump at every opportunity you can to make more money. Choose jobs on how much they pay. Work longer hours, get more education, move when your job says move. I recognize this this morning. We all have different capacities to make money. Some are given gifts by God that enables them to make money more easily than others. Some people work hard at it. Some are wise. Money isn't evil. It provides a benefit and the opportunity to have an advantage in life. But more of a good living, choosing this over other things, isn't always the best decision. More isn't always better. It's not evil necessarily, but it's not often what we're looking for. A few months ago, Elizabeth and I were in the car. We were running some errands and we're coming home and our housing edition uh, it's, it's right by this just two-lane road, and the speed limit, I think, is 45 miles an hour. Uh, I think. People go about 345 miles an hour up and down the road. And so we're pulling into this edition, and nearing the edge of the road, coming out of the housing edition, is this tiny little girl. And she is in her pajamas. She is barefoot. She's got her little blanket with her, and she is walking, and she looks bewildered, confused, lost and upset. So you see a child, you immediately think she got away from her parents. They've got to be close by. We I said, babe, that doesn't look right. We stopped the car and we're looking and we can't find anybody in sight. 
And so I say, hey, get out of the car. We don't want to put her in the car. In today's world, you know, it, it's, it's dangerous to do things like that. So Elizabeth got out of the car. She takes the little girl's hand, tries to communicate with, with her. She didn't speak any English. She's probably about three years old. Her words are muttered. And so here we go. We, we call the police and we are trying to help her find her home. She was heading for danger. She was literally going the opposite direction of what she was really looking for. We want more money because we're looking for something. We're trying to scratch an itch. We, deep down inside of us, we want something beyond the shiny object, beyond the comfort, beyond the trip, Look past those things is what Solomon is asking us to do because once you get those things, there's something else that is not going to be satisfied. And he is saying, look past those things. What we often need and what we are really looking for isn't more of a living. It is more of a life. That's what he's suggesting today. And we need to be sure that in our efforts to make a living, we balance ourselves out with being sure that we're not just making a living, but that we're making a life. Because this is what goes with us, and this is what counts, and this is what matters deep down. And and, and making a life, that's what satisfies. That's what's gonna bring the joy and the happiness. We know how to make a good living, but how do we make a good life? Well, there's a lot here. And, and these thoughts from chapter 5, they really extend into chapter 6. Some of the thoughts in Ecclesiastes, I, I think they stand alone. But chapter 5 really runs straight into chapter 6. And I know you don't want me to preach till 1 o'clock today. And so let's just look at a few thoughts from, from verse 18 this morning. And, and, and verses that we read today. I think there's this principle that really is highlighted here. Let go of making more stuff and making more money. Let go of that being the highest priority in your life. Because what do we do? We intuitively if we don't choose otherwise, are always going to choose a higher living than we are a better life. We just default to that. And and Solomon is saying in all of these things, if you hold on to riches, if this is your highest priority, you are going to hold on to them, you're going to pursue them. And then he says these words, to your hurt. To your hurt. It's going to hurt you now. It's going to hurt you later. This Pursuing a better life doesn't hurt you. Pursuing a better living sometimes can. And he says, be careful with what you're pursuing. Be careful the way you view this. Be careful the condition of your heart. The tighter you hold on to something, the less control of it you have. It's true for people. You try to control your spouse, your children, the less control you're going to have of them. It's true for money. The tighter you grip it, the more elusive it becomes. It's true with stuff. And, and, and it, it is so hard for us to be convinced otherwise. Because we imagine if we had more money, then we wouldn't hold on to our money so tightly. And Solomon is trying to convince us, and God's Word and His Holy Spirit is trying to convince us it's not true. Like, it, it is not true. And we think, well, if I had more, I wouldn't have to hold on to it so tightly. They say, if you hold on to it tightly, it's going to hurt you. And if you had more, you would hold on to it even tighter. It is the reverse of what we think and are convinced of. And we need the doctor, as Mayo Clinic would say, and it's not a guy in a white jumpsuit, it's a guy in heaven, 
and His name is Jesus, to correct our hearts and to convince us otherwise through the power of His Holy Spirit. What is rich anyway? Like, what is rich? Like, I, I spent a considerable amount of time trying to answer this question this week. And like, when you look up rich, the definitions are infuriating. So I've come to my own definition. This is the Daniel Merriam-Webster Dictionary, okay? And here's my definition of rich. It's having more than your basic necessities. And I I think that's a biblical construct. Having more than what you absolutely need. And we all do. I mean, this is 21st century America. We have an abundance of food. We get to be picky with the kinds of food we eat. I, my kids, I don't want to eat that, Dad. And I look at them, well, because you're not starving, right? We all have this luxury of being picky with our food. We're picky with our clothes. We get to be picky with everything. We have an abundance of food. We have an abundance of shelter. We have an abundance of clothing. We're rich. We're just by the Bible definition, we're rich. Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. No one knows exactly what Jesus meant by these words. But some theorize that the needle Jesus was speaking of was a a gate. It was called the needle gate. And supposedly, historians believe, this was a low and narrow after-hours entrance that was found in the surrounding wall of Jerusalem. And so when, when, when the city was shutting down and someone still needed to get in or get out, they would have to go through the needle gate. But the needle gate was very low and it was very narrow for security purposes and reasons. And if you wanted to get a camel through the needle gate, you had to strip off all of its baggage. The camel had to get down on his knees and he could make it through, but they didn't want to do that. Boy, they would buck and fight and they were not going through the needle gate. And what a lot of authors consider when Jesus was saying this, it's easier for a rich man to get into, you know, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get into heaven. He was just saying this, those who have more than they need become self-sufficient. They hold on to it. The more you have, the more you grasp. And he is saying, it's not going to work in the kingdom of heaven. That kind of spirit, that kind of perspective about stuff, about money, he said, it doesn't work. You can pursue making a good living, but the highest priority of, life, uh, of our lives is to make a good life. He says this, that we are to live with the understanding that money and stuff is here to make this life better and easier. But it is not an end all. It's easily lost. It will not go with you. He is saying this, hold it loosely. Prioritize other things over that. It's okay to have desires. It is not wrong to have dreams and wants. It is not what he's saying here. We all have those things. But it is not okay to let those things consume you. To let those things be the highest priority. For these things become such a big deal that you can't give generously to other people. To let these come things go so big deal that you won't give your tithe and your offering and you scoff at the concept and you want to argue uh, you know, a theological perspective that's aberrant to what God's Word says. So see, hold these things loosely. Be generous. Be open-hearted. Pursue making a good life over making a good living. And I think the second thought here simply is this. We need to find appreciation for what we already have. L- hold on to stuff loosely. It's not going with us. This is hold tightly 
to making a good life. And find appreciation for what you have. Paul said in Philippians 4, I've learned. It doesn't come automatic. It's not something that it's just all of a sudden, here we are in a state of contentment. He says, I've learned whatsoever state I am in. He says, therewith to be content. And he goes on to, to give examples when I'm hungry, when I'm full, when I'm cold, when I'm warm, when I'm tired, when I'm awake and feel vitality in my life. He says this, I have learned no matter what state I'm in to come back to a stable base of contentment. And it's a choice and it's something that we learn. Verse 18 again, Solomon says, Behold that which I have seen, it's good and comely for one to eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life. And then he says this phrase, which God giveth him. What's he saying? He is saying, receive what God has given to you. You take two different men, and they put in the same effort to life, and they have the same intellect and all things being equal, and God chooses, for whatever reason that I will never understand this side of eternity, to give one man more than the other man. And if we begin to compare ourselves to each other, it'll eat us up. It'll destroy our hearts. We can look at our spouse and be like, why don't you make more money? Or why don't we have those things? We can look at our parents, and resentment can build in our hearts. And God's saying, hold on a second here. I'm God. You ain't. I'm in heaven. You're on the earth. We just read that in chapter 4. You need to make sure your perspective's right here. And you need to understand, there are some people I'm going to give things to and some I'm not. He said, you could fight, kick, and fuss, and scream, and all you're going to do is do all of that to your hurt. So he says this, instead receive what God gives you. He's not saying be lazy. We, talk, we covered that. He's not saying waste time. He's not saying don't be a good steward of your resources. He isn't saying none of that. He is saying this. It's a matter of perspective. You receive what God's given you. And the next phrase is this, for that is his or your portion. In other words, God's got this world that he gives you this portion. That's your piece of the pie. It's like a child sitting down to, to, to dessert, and he looks at his mom and says, you gave my brother a bigger scoop of ice cream than mine. And the mom's supposed to say what? Shut up, boy. <laughs> I gave you some ice cream. Enjoy what you have. Enjoy. You don't have to eat it. Enjoy what God gave you. And receive that. And stop looking at everything and everyone else. That's what God gave you. That's your portion. Make a good life. And the living that God gives you, appreciate it. Be grateful for it. If you work hard and you get a labor, reward for your labor, then it's your portion. And it does no good comparing your portion to someone else's portion. What's the proper response here? Well, find appreciation for the good you have and enjoy it. Stop focusing on what you don't have and enjoy the good that you do have. And Paul says that's called contentment. I'm going to be grateful. Here Solomon is, the wisest man, tackling an attitude of the heart about riches, about an insatiable desire that we have for more. It's a way that we look at money. It's a perspective of possessions. And a few thousand years later, one that was wiser, or the Bible says greater, than Solomon walked the planet. Amen. Solomon 
was really wealthy with the goods of this world. He was a pauper in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus came, and he was exactly reverse roles. He was a pauper here, but he had behind him the wealth and the riches of heaven. And so he's preaching one day in Matthew chapter 6. He's telling his disciples, Why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. There are things money can't buy. Satisfaction, joy, true beauty. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you? Oh, you have little faith. He will take care of you. And if you have more than what you need, you're rich. Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. That's not a compliment. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. And he says this, Instead of worrying so much about your living, worry more about your life. So, so he says, seek first the kingdom of heaven. This comes first. Pursue good life first. This is what's important. So I'm going to seek this first. He says, and his righteousness. And then he says, and, and this stuff, the good living and, and the things that God, your portion, the things that God's going to give you, all these other things, they'll be added unto you. You pursue this first, you're going to lose this. You Hold on tightly to riches and to money, and this is your greatest pursuit, and this is your perspective of life, and you can't give, and you can't be generous, and you can't let go, and you can't be content. You're going to lose this. You will not have a good life. Solomon is saying that in the text. You're going to have despair and wretchedness and, and, and sadness and regret. And this is a man who had everything, looking at us saying, I don't have a good life. I have all the wealth of the world. But Jesus said, if you'll pursue this first, if you'll seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he says, all these other things, God's going to take care of you. They'll be added unto you. Just make this the priority. Put him first. Seek him first. He is the priority. He says, take therefore no thought for the morrow. Don't stay up late in stress and anxiety because of this. He says, the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. God's got you taken care of. You pursue the right priorities, work hard, and whatever God gives you, that's, that's, that's what He's going to give you, and that's your portion. So have a spirit of contentment. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on your side. The pursuit of money and riches and stuff, it's not evil. It's not wicked, but why you're doing it and how you're doing it, the condition of your heart, the way you treat people, your perspective towards God, your obedience towards Him, that all matters. It's a big, big deal. So the question is this, is more better? Well, it depends on whether you're trying to make a good living or if you're trying to make a good life. Not to leave you suspended about the little girl mentioned earlier, 
called the police and took us about 30 minutes helping her find her home and her panicked mother. <laughs> she just walked out the door. And maybe in some measure this morning, we too, in our hearts, can recalibrate our lives and our perspective and find home that it's not in the things of this world. It's in things that really matter. It's, it's in investing in people. It's in having a right attitude and heart and perspective. It's in being, having a soul that is stilled and not anxious. It's taking our worries and cares and casting them upon Him and saying, God, I'm going to seek you first. I'm going to focus more on making a good life because that goes with me. And my living just won't. I need this. But God says, those things I'm going to take care of. I'm going to add them to you. You'll be okay. I got you covered. Let's make sure that on our hearts and our priorities, we're seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then let those things be added to us. Let me ask you to stand this morning, if you would.